0: Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of December 21st through December the 27th. Happy winter solstice, everyone. Uh, Yes, we've reached the big day, uh, the big day of the great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, and a day where we experience the return of the light in Capricorn season. So happy new ERA in air signs, happy new conjunctions in the element of air. Uh, We'll see what that brings us. Uh, This week, we're going to see the sun moving into Capricorn. Uh, We're going to talk about the two of pentacles and and Capricorn uh, mythos. Um, The Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is is happening on Monday, the 21st. We are going to see a uh, challenging Mars-Pluto square on the 23rd. Um, as well as Venus conjoining the fixed star Antares. So that is interesting that those two things are happening on the same day. Um, on Friday the 25th, we're going to have a trine between Mercury and Uranus. And then finally, on Sunday the 27th, we're going to see the Sun make a trine to Uranus. So some interesting times for, prom- for Promethean ideas. Um, so I just wanted to let you know before we get started here that I am offering a discount on all of my readings for Capricorn season. So I'm offering a 25% discount on all of my appointments, my readings, uh, the fixed star readings, the Deccan readings, the transit readings, every basically everything that I offer, including astrological tutoring, which is something I've been really excited about lately. I've got some new uh, astrology students lately, and that is something that I really enjoy doing. But 25% everything from now until the end of Capricorn season, which is January 20th. So if you punch in the coupon code, code solstice, okay, S-O-L-S-T-I-C-E, you'll get 25% off anything I offer. So uh, happy holidays to you. Here is my gift for the solstice and for the, uh, the great conjunction. Hopefully um, it is something that uh, will be useful to you and um, we can share some wisdom. Uh, Yeah, and and if you're enjoying these videos, make sure that you're hitting the like button and the share button. That really helps out the algorithm on the show. Um, Leave me a comment in the comment section. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. All of those good things that we do to move uh, move our things forward here as we move into Capricorn season. All right, so let's talk about the planetary condition report, and I'll share my screen and we will see that we can see two charts here uh, and where all the planets are going to begin and where they're going to end up. We're going to start out the week with the sun at 29 degrees of Sagittarius, and it will move to 30 degrees Sagittarius and move over to Capricorn on the 21st. So very early in the week, we're going to see the sun shift, and we'll break down a lot of the symbolism with Capricorn, some of the mythology, some of the you know, ancient ways that people looked at the changing of the seasons. Um, But the sun in Sagittarius has triplicity dignity uh, of the fire signs by day. It will be in the terms of Mars from 26 to 30 degrees. It'll be moving fast in motion. When it's in Sagittarius, it will be trined Mars and Aries uh, conjoining Venus in Sagittarius and then sextiling uh, Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius. The host of the sun when it's in Sagittarius will be uh, a newly ingressed Jupiter into Aquarius where it has a sextile relationship for a few hours on Monday morning. Once the sun moves into Capricorn, it will move from zero to six degrees of Capricorn. It is It will uh, become peregrine, uh, so losing that triplicity dignity, but it'll be in the terms of Mercury from zero to seven degrees we're going to see an exact square from the sun to the moon, the first quarter moon on Monday, the 21st as well. And then an exact trine to Uranus on the 27th. When the sun is in Capricorn, it will be co-present with Mercury in Capricorn and it will be making an overcoming square to Mars and Aries. The host will become Saturn in Aquarius to which it has an aversion relationship to, but it has this kind of secret dignity Uh, with this ancient concept called lichen girding, where the planet that rules both of uh, its home signs, where it's in a planet, or I'm sorry, it's in a sign, where it uh, has this kind of contact with its host, because Saturn rules both Capricorn and Aquarius. So there is some secret channels for Saturn to be able to provide resources for the sun. Uh, Saturn itself will be in the sign of Aquarius from zero to one degree, uh, moving fairly fast for Saturn. It is a slow-moving planet, but it is it is speeding along. Uh, it has domicile rulership. It is the, the uh, steward of the temple of Aquarius. It is the triplicity ruler of the air signs by day. It will be in the terms of Mercury from zero to seven degrees and then co-present and making a conjunction, an exact conjunction, the great conjunction, the grand conjunction with Jupiter on Monday the 21st. Um, It is co-present obviously with Jupiter sextile the sun and Venus in Sagittarius, and then sextiling Mars in Aries. It is in its own domicile. So it is of course its own domicile ruler. Jupiter will be moving from zero to one degree of Aquarius this week. It is also fast in motion, but it will be peregrine since it does not have any of its own dignity in uh, the first degrees of Aquarius. It will also be in the terms of Mercury from zero to seven degrees and, making, and playing its role in that grand conjunction to Saturn on the 21st. It is co-present with its host Saturn and it is sextile the Sun and Venus in Sagittarius and also sextiling Mars in Aries. Its host is Saturn in Aquarius, to which it is co-present with. Mars this week is in Aries, moving from 23 to 25 degrees. It is the only planet in the sky right now besides the moon that is slow in motion. It is in its own domicile and in its own terms at the beginning of the week, as it does have bound rulership over 20 to 25 degrees of Aries. It will then move into the terms of Saturn from 25 to 30 degrees at the very end of the week. We are going to be seeing a square with Pluto uh, on the 23rd. So that will be an intense aspect that we'll break down in our daily report. Uh, Mars will be trining the Sun and Venus in Sagittarius. Uh, It will be receiving an overcoming square from the Sun and Mercury in Capricorn and sextiling Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius. It is of course its own host because it rules the sign of Aries. Venus this week will be in Sagittarius from six to 15 degrees, uh, moving fast in motion. It will conjoin the fixed star Antares at 10 degrees of Sagittarius and will be in its own terms after it moves through the terms of Jupiter from 0 to 12 degrees, it will be in its own terms, Venusian terms, from 12 to 17 degrees. We will see an Antitia with Venus to Pluto on the 21st. So an Antitia is a secret conjunction where there is equal light on either side of the, uh, the solstice. So we'll, we'll keep our eye on that for maybe some back-channel deals between Venus and Pluto Venus will be conjoining the sun in Sagittarius. Um, Not exactly, but it is co-present with the sun in Sagittarius. It will be trining um, Mars in Aries and sextiling sextiling Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius. The host of Venus this week will be a newly ingressed Jupiter into Aquarius, to which it now has a sextile relationship. So this is a very harmonious aspect between the two benefic planets right now. They are helping each other out. Mercury this week will be moving uh, from 0 to 11 degrees of Capricorn. It is fast in motion. It will conjoin the fixed star Fossies in at 8 degrees of Capricorn, which was the eye of the archer or the eye of Sagittarius. Um, so we're, we're aiming towards something with, uh, with the conjunction with Fosse's. Mercury will be in its own terms from 0 to 7 degrees of Capricorn and then move into the terms of Jupiter from 7 to 14 degrees Capricorn. We see an exact trine with Mercury to Uranus on the 27th of December. Mercury will be making an overcoming square to Mars and Aries and will be co-present with the Sun in Capricorn. The host of Mercury this week is Saturn in Aquarius, to which it has that uh, aversion relationship to, but that kind of secret back-channel way to receive resources with the like and girding relationship. The moon this week will be waxing from a first quarter to the gibbous phase. So this is a moon that is increasing in light, although it will be moving slow. It will be peregrine in both Pisces and Aries this week and then move into its exaltation in Taurus to which it also has triplicity rulership of the earth signs in the nighttime. And also it will be receiving dignity in the second face of Taurus. The moon will also be moving into uh, Gemini this week, which it is Peregrine. All right, so that's the planetary condition report for the week. We're kind of flying through it here, and we'll start moving to our daily report. All right, this is what happens when you get all these buildups in Sagittarius. You get to it. This is the last uh, weekly report. That I'll be recording with uh, Mercury and Sagittarius, <laughs> so we'll see. I'm going to try to be a little a little bit more objective with my um, with my forecast. I can't guarantee that my some of my own opinions won't seep in again, but uh, I'll do my best and recognize that I am aware of that, and I am trying to uh, break it all down for you the best that I can. Okay, let's look at Monday, December the 21st. What a day! What a day. This is a big day. This is a day we've been marking on our calendars for a very, very long time. Um, This is a day where the moon's going to start out, excuse me, in the sign of Pisces and move into Aries by the evening hours around 5.32 p.m. We're going to begin the very beginning of the day in the crescent phase and move to a first quarter moon. We have a couple of lunar aspects before we start breaking down the very important Uh, conjunctions and squares of the day. Um, The moon will be making a sextile to Pluto at 23 degrees of Pisces and Capricorn in the very early hours. Uh, And then it will move into Aries. And then once the moon is in Aries, it will sextile both Saturn and Jupiter. And this will be the first time that the moon is uh, making a sextile from Aries to uh, these Aquarian placements. This happens around 630 in the Evening time, So that should be interesting and in bringing about some new new experiences that we haven't had yet with the um, these new ingresses with these outer planets that we're experiencing. Um, we are going to see the sun move into the first decan of Capricorn, which will be the winter solstice, the, the shortest day of the year, but the return of the light. This is where the night is the longest, but we're seeing the, the increase of the light happening. And that will happen around 5.03 in the morning is when we see the the sun ingress into Capricorn. Now, this decan is ruled by the two of pentacles, which is called harmonious change. Uh, Now, the two of pentacles, you see a figure that's juggling uh, two two pentacles with uh, waves and ships behind him. And this this decan has a lot of uh, significations with trying to figure out where to plant your next seed or to direct your material ambitions. It's kind of weighing the different advantages and disadvantages of different locations. Um, there may be some concerns as we we move into a new year. We may be balancing, uh, reflecting on the old year, the year that we just had, this this, uh, <laughs> this, this crazy contraction year of 2020. And what that all means for us and, and how do we leave the past behind and, and how do we move, want to move forward? So we're balancing the past and the future. Um, we're balancing out uh, what kind of new ambitions we may be uh, trying to achieve with the new Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, with the new year, with the return of the light. So there may be some return of hope and some return of some kind of, um, I don't know, some type of uh, new uh, material Uh, target that we are trying to shoot our arrows towards if we think about it with with um, the kind of the overlap of the Sagittarian themes too this is one thing I'm trying out with this is because of precession, we do have the stars of Sagittarius uh, present in the tropical sign of Capricorn so you can see here on my star chart that the sun this is right around the solstice and this is something that you can see the solstice is here we have the grid lines of the, uh, this is the, the projection of the celestial equator, but this divides up the tropical signs pretty well. And you can see that we've got the constellation of Sagittarius here. And in the next sign, uh, Aquarius, we have the, the uh, constellation of Capricorn. And that's because like over time, the two zodiacs, the sidereal, which means the, of, of the stars, is, has been moving away from the tropical zodiac, which is based on the increase and decrease of light uh, over the course of the year, the path of the sun. So here we see the green line, which is the ecliptic, the path of the sun, is is matching up with this um, celestial equator grid line, and you can see that the sun is at its very lowest point in the sky. And if I go back a few minutes here, like this is this is the point where we are. Increasing in light, so check it out. I'm going back in time here, and as I move forward, you can see that the sun is getting lower and lower in the sky. And now, as we move forward past the solstice, it's starting to increase its celestial—I guess you could call it its its latitude in the sky or its declination. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to clear that up. But it is getting higher in the sky. So we have this increase in the length of daylight because of this phenomena, So we see these, this is one of the turnings. So this is where we are turning from decrease, dark, 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 and increase of light. And every tropical sign represents some kind of turning. Tropical was the ancient word for a cardinal sign. In modern astrology, we talk about the signs uh, cardinal and, and versus tropical now in the ancient uh, lingo. And tropos, the Greek word tropos means a turning. So this is a turning point. This is where we are seeing the beginning of a new season, the turning of light. So with the winter solstice, we have the return of the increase of daylight. At the spring equinox, we have equal daylight and the the dominance of the day starts to overtake the dominance of the night. At the summer solstice, we see the longest day of the year. And then the uh, the the turning of the sun to de- start to decrease in its in its height in the sky, and thus decrease of the length of the day. And then at the fall equinox, we have equal night and day, and we will start to see the increase or the dominance of the darkness. So this is this is a period of hope. We're still in the dark part of the year, but we're seeing potentially a movement towards hope. Now, one interesting little phenomenon that I wanted to to point out as we think about capricorn and aquarius symbolism is in ancient times uh many thousands of years ago when you know due to precession, the spring equinox the sun in the spring equinox would would rise with the uh with the fixed sign taurus so we had these turnings that were happening in fixed signs so it's interesting that both of these signs could be somewhat related to uh, a hopeful return um, now what we're doing here in these forecasts is starting to overlap some of the fixed star, uh, symbolism as well. So we have some of this Sagittarian goal orientated type of experience again, and that, that kind of brings in some of the, maybe even some of the, the Eastern astrology, because they use the sidereal zodiac. So they would say that the sun would be in, uh, in the, the sign of Sagittarius at this point. I do think that it is, uh, a fascinating thing to try to combine both. I think they both have their uses and I think that there is symbolism we can draw from the fixed star conjunctions and the fixed stars that are in the particular decans and this concept of light and darkness with the, with the tropical turnings. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the sign of Capricorn and the mythology of Capricorn because we're, we are still going to see some of that mythos come in. Um, one story that is really interesting to me is that uh, the story of the seagoat Precus? And Precus is a, a son of Cronos. He was a seagoat, an immortal that was created by Cronos, and he lived in the sea. And th- th- this is a, a sad tragedy, the story of Precus, because Precus could not control his offspring. Uh, they kept climbing out of the sea, and when they did, they would lose their ability to think and to speak because they became normal goats instead of sea goats. And there's, there's some interesting symbolism with that, with the sea maybe being, uh, you know, associated with divinity or the unconscious or the dream space uh, and the land, maybe the more material reality. So we could have this transition from uh, the soul to more of a material um, type of existence. And Precus was pretty upset about this. He, he actually was able to control time and he would attempt to, uh, continually, repeatedly turn back time so that he wouldn't lose his children. He became really sad by this, but eventually, even though he would turn back time and warn them and uh, do things of this nature, he couldn't keep his children from leaving the sea and losing their connection, maybe, maybe to spirit or maybe to, uh, I don't know, to, to the homeland or something of that nature, to oneness, to wholeness. And this, this left, eventually, this left Precus alone. And Precus became very upset and very sad and pleaded with his father, Kronos, who is also the ruler of the sign Capricorn. So some interesting connections with with Saturn and Kronos. Uh, he pleaded with Kronos to allow him to die. He, he couldn't die because he was immortal. So there is this theme of abandonment. And this is one of the... the uh, The ancient significations of of Saturn, which is this deprivation, this abandonment, this reckoning, the concept of endings, the concept of time itself. Kronos uh, had kind of this dual meaning of of, uh, it actually was the father of time in ancient times too. So this is um, a really interesting story talking about uh, Capricorn and maybe this impulse to preserve things against the ravages of time, but the inability to do so, and a need to come to acceptance that all things must pass. And this is some of the things that we're probably coming to terms with, with the ending of an old year, and then setting our sights on some kind of new type of uh, experience that we want to build towards in the in the year ahead. So um, one of the, the thoughts that came up with this, one of the stories that just kind of popped into my head was I was you know, doing research on this story, was kind of the story of King Triton. This reminds me of King Triton, uh, who was uh, the father of the Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid was a, a you know, half-human, half half-fish that wanted to, uh, wanted to leave, wanted to go to land, and King Triton kept trying to convince the Little Mermaid to, to stay. Um, eventually, she went off on her own and sort of made a, a deal with the Sea Witch uh, and in the original myth, not the disney the Disneyfied, Disneyfied myth, uh, she suffered for that. And she eventually um, turned back into sea foam. She couldn't retain her, uh, her I don't know, personhood on land. And, um, you know, I, th- I just thought that was a really interesting kind of symbolism with that, with, you know, a child trying to leave the, the I guess, the safety, the, the, the known waters but, you know, failing. And this this may be something, a really, a good lesson that we can learn. When we're studying astrology, I've talked about the fourfold hermeneutic in the past where we have kind of the literal meaning, which, you know, we have events that happen during these times. We have the allegorical meaning, which is what I just did with King Triton and the story of the Little Mermaid and the story of Precus. And then we try to find a, a moralistic meaning with it, um, which we can call the trope, the the tropological meaning, um, which is how do we bring the symbolism down to earth and make it practical and think about the ethical value of it. And then there's another part of that fourfold hermeneutic called the anagogical meaning, which is how does this lift us higher into a experience of divinity and experience of, of, um, oh, I don't know, the mystery. All right. And, I think that when we talk about the, maybe some of the moral value of Capricorn, there is that this parable can speak to if we are pursuing two, two things. I think that we, it can teach us that if we are pursuing a goal that is only material in nature, uh, we can lose our ability to think and to speak and to have that connection with source. So I think that this is something that, that we have to really consider in Capricorn season is if we do get a new material ambition, um, we have to be careful to retain that connection with the, the, the water of divinity um, so that we don't lose that uh, very um, life-giving uh, type of experience and lose our ability to, to reason. okay And this is a, a really a lot of the part of the symbolism that Austin Kopic talks about in his book 36 Faces with Capricorn is, the, the trying to build a tower to, to heaven through material means like the ultimate hubris, right? And a lot of the, the, the symbolism he talks about is, you know, this ambition where we're, we might be thinking that our goal is based on some spiritual truth or some spiritual reality, but it may just be based on some of the, the materialistic uh, desires, norms, or things of that nature. That's not to say that the material world is necessarily all bad. Uh, this is something I wrestle with quite a bit because a lot of our um, spiritual texts can be very um, ascetic, like trying to maybe deny the material world in favor of spiritual practice. Um, so it's something I don't have a great answer for yet. I, I do know that there are a, a lot of mystical traditions and a lot of spiritual traditions that do speak to the, the suffering that we experience as human beings and as as material based creatures, uh, when we incarnate onto this plane of existence, and I think that there's some truth to that, and I think that there is some some pain and some sorrow about coming to this planet. It's not all pain and sorrow. We have duality, and sometimes that pain and sorrow can help us to appreciate uh, with gratitude some of the more divine moments, some of the more uh, the moments of abundance, the moments of. Um, grace, uh, the moments of happiness, the moments of joy, and I think that 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 duality is really important to, to understand as we move through this this life. All right, so another thing to think about with Capricorn, uh, we've got three cards in Capricorn, and we have the um, the two of Pentacles, the three of Pentacles, and the four of Pentacles, and we see the, the juggling, the trying to juggle the past and the future and deciding where to build our next empire. In the second decan, the three of pentacles, we see a number of figures talking about how to build a very ornate uh, cathedral or structure. So Austin Cobbett calls this one, uh, I believe this one's called the pyramid. And it's about how do you uh, start to build after you've chosen a location? And in the third one, we have the four of pentacles, a figure on a throne that is clutching uh, four pentacles. And he's he's administrating what he has built. So there it's kind of like you you got to decide what to build and where to build the advantages and disadvantages, the past and the present and the future. And then you make the plan, you do the hard work necessary to get to do what you need to do. And then you have to uh, be a good steward of, of whatever you have created. Um, there is a lot of significations in the third decan of Capricorn with governmental structures and hierarchy and things like that, positions of power. We've seen a lot of those themes in the last year because we've had those outer planets, Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto moving through the third decan. And really like showing us some of the corruption that, that is, has, has come from those positions of power and, and you know, seeing the disintegration of some of them as well. Um, but we're moving out of that energy right now. I mean, at least with Saturn, Jupiter, and 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 Pluto is still doing its its work there. Uh, but the sun's going to be kind of going through that similar journey, much quicker, of course, than Jupiter and Saturn. But we're going to kind of see the the microcosm of that longer journey that we've been experiencing with those outer planets over the course of a month, as as the sun journeys through Capricorn. So this may be a time where you're planting new seeds. You're making those New Year's resolutions. You're you're thinking about what you want to do in the future. You're thinking about what kind of identity that you want to craft in the, in the new paradigm that we're going to be experiencing with the, uh, the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn now in the element of air? Uh, we'll break that down in just a second. But one thing I did want to talk about as well is we are going to be seeing a square between the moon and the sun at 641 p.m., and that's our first quarter moon. So this may be a, a, a time where we are you know having some material crisis. About how we are going to individuate Moon and Aries one, uh, as we try to decide what new goals we are going to pursue. So you may be weighing the, the advantages and disadvantages of, of a new goal or a new locale, a new job, a new location, a new partnership, a new, a new anything. And you may be asking yourself, well, how do I maintain my individuality as I pursue this new mission? How do I, it's this kind of um individual desire versus a more maybe communal type of uh, material um, manifestation. So this could be how do you retain your sense of self when you are working on this new project. Um, This could also be this kind of um, rashness with the moon in Aries versus the discipline that's required in Capricorn and a Saturn-ruled sign. Uh, This is something, Capricorn is a uh, temple, It's Saturn ruled and you can't rush Saturn. Saturn is is time itself on some level. Uh, So we can see new beginnings, but also endings too. One other uh, signification of Capricorn was it was said to be the gateway, uh, a, a gateway along with cancer, a gateway of souls. And in this particular gateway, souls would be leaving the material plane and returning back to the collective so it's actually a really interesting par- paradox that we have a gateway where souls and form may be leaving the earthly plane, uh, and but also this kind of uh, return of the light, this this maybe new um, ambition. Uh, so it, it is it is an interesting paradox that I haven't quite wrapped my head around yet. Uh, and I'll, I think what I'll do is I'll just hold that duality and I'll hold that ambiguity. And maybe you'll have some thoughts on that that you can leave in the, the comment section. Um, but yeah, this is a, something where we may just feel a little bit confused at first as to how we are going to to move forward. But I would say that patience is is wins the race. I pulled the 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 uh, I do a, an animal totem every day, uh, in, as part of my spiritual practice, and just learn the ways of an animal. And the animal I pulled today was the turtle. Which speaks of you know slow and steady wins the race and one step at a time one day at a time and I thought that was really good for this Capricorn Aquarius type of uh, forecast that we're going to be talking about today. There's only one other lunar aspect on Monday the 21st and that is the moon making a square to Mercury at 9:04 p.m. as well. So this this kind of uh, first quarter moon this this crisis where we have to really uh, you know, maybe even make a heroic effort to make a start and, and to overcome the sense of inertia. It may, we may, it may take some communication too about what what type of um, experience we want to we want to live next. Now, I would I would caution you that, uh, like Precus, uh we can't turn back time. Uh, this this is a very important moment in our collective histories to begin to embrace the new. Uh, and with that, let's talk a little bit about this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. You can see here on our chart that these two planets are really, really close together. They almost look like one. And if I zoom way in, you can see there is Jupiter and there is Saturn. Okay. This is pretty neat. I love this program. It's called Starry Night Pro. We can see that they are very, very close in the sky to the point where if we zoom out, they almost look like one, one, one star. And there's some theories out there that Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions, uh, one of which may have been um, the the proverbial star of Bethlehem, somewhere around uh, six or seven BC, that that marked uh, the the birth of Christ. Uh, and that is, you know, that that there is many astrologers out there that that have done some good work on that. That Jupiter-Saturn conjunction happened in. Uh, I believe the early degrees of Pisces, which is also one of the symbols of of Christianity. So uh, this is a conjunction that is the way that ancient astrologers would mark out um, paradigms and shifts of empires, shifts of consciousness, shifts of consensus reality, uh, changes in the cultural zeitgeist. And this cycle has like these meta cycles. So we have the 20 year cycle of Jupiter and Saturn. Okay. We have the two, roughly 200 to 250 year cycle of Jupiter and Saturn conjunctions, excuse me, within a certain element, uh, earth, air, fire, or water. And then we have, uh, this 2400 year cycle where the, uh, the Jupiter Saturn conjunction comes around back to the same sign. Okay, so this, this is like cycles within cycles within cycles. And it's been, it takes about 800 years to go through all four of the elements. And this is the first time in, in roughly 800 years that we will see the air of element return to the Jupiter Saturn cycle. So we have the transition from Jupiter and Saturn conjoining in Earth signs to them conjoining in air signs. And we've been feeling the transition of these ages. Now I will preface this with saying that this is not necessarily the age of Aquarius. This is something that was sort of a modern construct of the last hundred years or so. It it is not necessarily this idealized utopian age. Um, Every single age has advantages and disadvantages. It's just change. It's cyclical change. Um, with changes, there, there is a, an element of hope because I think at the end of elemental uh, conjunctions and the end of an elemental paradigm, we tend to see bloat. We tend to see uh, something that just may have outlived its usefulness. And In this case, we've seen the, uh, the industrial revolution come to its peak and then start to become bloated and, and become corrupt. And the, the, this kind of uh, consumer culture, this capitalist type of system, we're seeing the, the, the real downside of that and the inequality of that. The, we've seen the, the ravaging and the raping of the earth, uh, the, the, the wanton uh, destruction of the forests of animal species. We have mass extinctions going on. And it's because we've gotten to this point where we're not really thinking about how to be great stewards of those material resources. We're just kind of pursuing more and more and more. And with this shift, uh, I think some of the hope comes in where we're having to, by necessity, by just just the very fact that we've just kind of exhausted the possibilities of that last earth era, we have to make changes at this point to survive as a species. And this may come through decentralizing uh, some of the uh, maybe government or hierarchical structures, maybe redistributing some of the resources to the people. Um, you know with air it's harder to contain these things. We've seen a shift to an information age instead of material resources being the commodity that we trade. Now we are trading in, in technology and information. We literally upload our consciousness into a something called the cloud now. Um, we have this World Wide Web where we can converse with one another over these, these you know, ones and zeros uh, and talk to each other in real time and see one another um, th- through these screens um, from thousands of miles away, if we so choose. And that's pretty interesting. That's pretty amazing. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, besides just these, this shift to a new era, this new Jupiter-Saturn era, is I wanted to talk about the, the story of Jupiter, AKA Zeus, and Kronos themselves. Because once we understand some of the mythos behind their story, we can understand what we're probably in for in the years ahead. And this is a succession story. We have in, in, this, in the mythology of Kronos, uh, a succession story of fathers and sons. And Kronos, of course, was a Titan. And Kronos was a Titan that was the son of, of Uranus, who was the, the sky god. And I believe that he was a titan that was born of Uranos and Rhea, the earth. And uh, eventually Uranus became a tyrannical leader. And Kronos took his sickle, which is one of the symbols of Saturn, the sickle of the harvesting sickle. Um, it's interesting because Saturn had a lot of significations with agriculture in ancient times. Um, he took his sickle or his scythe, and he uh, castrated his father, Uranus. And from the blood of the sky, the blood fell to the earth, and from that blood was born the, the furies. Okay, So we have like this, this birth of, um, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, retribution. Okay, Furies were like uh, trying to get justice, but in like this kind of harsh way. Uh, and and uh, from the the uh, the genitals of Uranos that fell into the ocean uh, was birthed Aphrodite. So maybe the birth of retribution, but also the birth of desire or beauty from this this experience. So there was some sort of prophecy along the way that Kronos was told. That he would be usurped by his own children, and so what he did is, I believe he had his his uh, consort was Rhea. I like I, there was there's a lot of kind of like uh, sort of incestual myths in these in these ancient times, so I believe Rhea was both his mother and his wife. I could be mistaken on that. Don't hold me to that. Uh, but basically, Cronos uh, and Rhea gave birth to these Olympians, right? Uh, Zeus being one of them. And every Olympian that was born, uh, Kronos would swallow them up. Okay, So we have this kind of symbolism associated with boundaries, with Saturn being the, the outermost boundary in the celestial sphere model that, that is working between the, uh, the planetary spheres and the sphere of the fixed stars, potentially this boundary between more divine law and the administration of those laws with the planetary wills, um, so Saturn was was bringing everything inside of this boundary. He was he was you know trying to be like Precus. He was trying to uh, to to keep his children. He, he didn't. His motivation may have been different than Precus, but he was trying to keep his children from from usurping his power. Uh, he was trying to to stay the the forces of change. Um, and Zeus was hid away by Rhea, the earth, and was suckled by, uh, El, I believe it is, uh, what is the name of that? There is a sea, or there's a goat nymph. This is another story of Capricorn, Almalthea. Okay, and the sea nymph, or the, I'm sorry, the goat nymph suckled baby Zeus, and in his place, Rhea gave Kronos uh, a boulder. And he swallowed that boulder and thought it was Zeus. So Zeus was able to, to come to maturity, come to power. And he sort of like ingratiated himself somehow to, to Kronos as a cup bearer and fed him uh, a poison in, in the cup. Okay, And that poison was like uh, something that caused Kronos to vomit up his, you know, Zeus's brothers and sisters. And it was a, a liberation. So we can think of Zeus as a, as a liberator god as well. But Zeus is bringing order to the cosmos. Jupiter is, is something that brings order. Okay. So when we have the, uh, the expelling of the siblings, you can think that sort, sort of seems like the, the outcast version of, of Kronos, where we have everything that's outside of the boundary in Aquarius. So we have everything inside the wall, maybe in Capricorn, trying to preserve the past. Um, trying to prevent uh, the usurpation of power. And then we have everything that's been expelled from that with maybe with Aquarius and things on the outskirts, on the margins. Um, and the story between Zeus and Kronos is one where there was a great war though between Zeus and with his brothers and sisters, the Olympians and the Titans led by Kronos and, and the, other, the other Titans. And it was a 10 year war. And this mimics... The cycle of Jupiter and Saturn. If we go back over to our chart here, if we go forward in years, we can see here we've got the conjunction at zero degrees of Aquarius. But if we go forward, we're going to see that it takes. Uh, here we have five years into the future. We're going to see. Um, we're going to see the square between Jupiter and Saturn. Okay, around 2024, 2025. And then we're going to see the opposition around 2029, roughly 10 years after the conjunction. Okay. And then we see, you know, it'll come back around to the last quarter square and then eventually another conjunction 20 years down the road. Now, this is interesting because when we're talking about whatever new, um, liberating force that is going to be represent the paradigm shift. It isn't, we're not snapping our fingers and able to say, okay, this is, it's a, it's a new world right away. It, no, it takes, it takes time. It takes the quality of uh, patience. We're going to see various points of, of expansion and contraction, you know, Jupiter and Saturn, we're going to see potentially old orders doubling down and trying to preserve their power and subsequently the the battle to liberate from that oppressive type of power. Um, but this is a seed moment and this is a really important seed moment. Now one other thing that I wanted to show you about this that I think is really important is that when uh, in the beginning of this beginning of this cycle, this this is a concept from traditional astrology is we we see Saturn, in the overcoming position, okay? So you see here, we have uh, Saturn in Aquarius, and we have, um, if we go out to, no, let's go out to the, the square, right? First quarter square. We have Saturn in, in Pisces and Jupiter in Gemini. And in the order of the signs, Pisces is earlier than Gemini, okay? And that was said to be the overcoming position, the overcoming square. It was said to have the upper hand over Jupiter. So for the first 10 years of the cycle, Saturn, the old order, still has the upper hand. So I want to just like pump the brakes on kind of any of this thought that we're just going to automatically move into this new reality. We are definitely going to feel the impulse, though, to begin the movement towards the new reality. It isn't going to come without its challenges, though. It isn't going to come without its battles. It isn't going to come without its uh, need to, to have this heroic type of liberation from an old regime as well. So think about that as we're moving forward. And I would encourage you to pace yourself if you are feeling those impulses towards change, towards liberation, towards, towards a new type of thought reality. I, I would say follow those impulses, but recognize that there will be times Um, where to fight. There will be times to advocate. There will be times to make changes. And there'll be other times where you'll have to be patient. There'll be other times where you may reach uh, a a point in the road where you've either reached a dead end or you've reached an obstacle. And instead of banging your head against that wall, you'll have to be patient and, and build up your resources over time to be able to spill around that obstacle like water. So I guess my, my, my advice for all of you during this new uh, impulse of energy is to pace yourself. Um, there will be, if you are connected with spirit and you are connected with your own higher self, you will get impulses and messages from that higher self that will tell you the, the proper time to act and the proper time to wait. So I just think that it's very important to really be aware of when to take action and when not to. Uh, and that, that's how I would I would approach this moving forward. All right. So and the, the air era is is interesting to think about. Um, we did see a lot of new technologies that came about in the last air era. <laughs> and this is like big stuff. I I, I was just on a podcast with um, the wonderful Melissa LaFara. Uh, I was on her podcast, the Energetic Principles podcast. It should be coming out Monday, the twenty-first. On this conjunction, so keep your eyes peeled for that, and I'll, I'll share that on my SoundCloud feed as well. Um, yeah, we we had a good talk about this, and she was she uh, informed me that like the the big changes, like things like the our concept of time changed around this this period, like with the invention of a mechanical clock. So, so that's like, that's huge, right? The, the precision of measuring the days and the hours and the minutes and how that's affected our lives. Um, I, I believe during this this era, we had things like printing press was, was invented. So the distribution of, of uh, information was, was much more able to move uh, through generations and that has big changes. Um, we can see that there wasn't always, you know, good things that came with this. The the, the great bubonic plague uh, was was something that was introduced in an air era. It of course traveled through the air. We are going through uh, our great pandemic right now as we speak. Um, so that was something to to think about. We had the crusades happen, um, just all sorts of things. Genghis Khan uh, was taking over many and and many areas of the world and. Uh, breaking down old empires and, and old hierarchies. Um, so I think that there is the fall of many empires in these transition periods of time. Um, but maybe we need that. Maybe we need the, maybe the empire that we're uh, a part of right now. doesn't, isn't necessarily working for everyone. And hopefully we'll move towards a more fair and egalitarian approach. Um I don't think it's going to be easy, though. I think it's going to take a lot of hard work, a lot of effort, a lot of patience, a lot of maturity, a lot of conversation, a lot of communication, a lot of a willingness to do things differently than we've done in the past. Human beings are creatures of habit, and it's very difficult for them to change sometimes. But uh, I think that we can save ourselves a lot of pain, a lot of suffering when we willingly go through the changes and acknowledge that they're necessary, rather than trying to hold on like precus, to to the past or try to turn back time. I think this has been one of the interesting, uh, you know, rally cries that we've heard over the last few years with Saturn and Capricorn. Is this, you know, especially in America with the the Make America Great Again or Keep America Great. This this yearning for for this uh, imagined golden age. Chronos uh, in in the mythology was also someone who presided, and this is according to Hesiod, over the golden age. And there is this yearning, like, like Precus here, to, to preserve things against the ravages of time, to, to go back to something, some imagined past that may or may not have existed. And, and I think in America's case, maybe that golden age, quote unquote, existed for some of society, or, or they idealized that society, but for others, it was, it was, it was hell, it wasn't necessarily equal. And I think this, as we're moving towards this air era, this maybe this aquarian conjunction, we're going to see the the exile, the exiles of, of society becoming empowered, the people becoming empowered. Uh, we're going to disperse this consolidated wealth that we've seen and redistribute that to a lot of the the, the more. Oh, I don't know the the fringes of society. Hopefully, I think that's what Jupiter is going to attempt to do in the first decan of Aquarius, is uh, a redistrib- redistribution of wealth, um, bringing abundance, bringing growth, bringing stability to some of the folks that have been outcasts, that have been exiled, uh, and that we could think of that as um, you know minorities in a society, of people of color. We could think of that as you know LGBT community. We could think of that as as people who uh, the the haves versus the have-nots, like p- with wealth inequality, all of the fringes of society, we could see a redistribution of power and wealth and equity in this in the, these years to come. And we've already really seen some impulses towards that with things like the Black Lives Matter movement this year. We had Occupy Wall Street a few years ago to to talk about the the breaking up of some of the the power of the corporations and and the consolidation of wealth. Um, you know, some of the things we may see in the future are people advocating for things like a universal basic income, uh, things like universal health care, basic human rights that, that will allow people to, to live without suffering. Um, because we have right now we have this, really, we have this inequitable system where we have a, a tiny handful of people that have so much uh, and then we have these other folks that are just just struggling to pay bills, or or if they have one health emergency, they get cast into, into you know, excruciating debt, you know, debilitating debt. Um, and I don't—that's not fair. That is, that is not sustainable over time. And I think that we see we've seen over the course of history is when when you have people that have consolidated wealth and, and allowed other people to suffer, that's when we see rebellions. That's when we see uprisings. Um, because it's just not sustainable for the rest of humanity. And I think that one of the things to aspire to as a spiritual person is balance. Um, so when we see extremes, we are activating the extreme opposite, like we see in that yin-yang, like the, a little bit of light in the dark and a little bit of dark in the light. So I think that if we want to have a functional society, we need a balanced society. We, we, we need one where everybody has enough. And the, the the power or the wealth is not consolidated into the few. And this may be the kind of the, the movement that we're moving towards. Now, the card associated with the first decan of Aquarius is the five of swords. And in it, you see a figure that is, uh, this card was called defeat. And we see a figure that has won a battle. And the other figures going off into the distance or into the frontier uh, in shame or in I don't know in in, in hardship, uh, so we have to be careful that we're fighting the right battles around this period of time. Excuse me, that we're not allowing our you know our righteousness to become smugness. That we're not uh, trying to eliminate the wrong things. Uh, I do. This has been an interesting thing that's come up over the last few weeks in the astrological community. Social media has been. Uh, there's been a lot of conversations about um, people in the community. There's been some really, um, some really ugly conversations with some people that have said some really racist things, uh, that have been rightly called out by some of the, I guess, some of the people in the astrological community, um, and a lot of younger people. And, and I think that it's interesting to see, like, the. I don't think racism necessarily is, is, uh, you know. Something that only older generations are attached to, but we're definitely seeing it being a much less socially acceptable thing to the point where people aren't going to put up with that type of behavior anymore. And you know, there was another astrologer online that that was unaware of the the very nasty conversation and and liked some kind of post and and then was called out themselves and and this was a, a, a someone who was a little bit older that may not completely understand how social media works completely. And then they were, uh, you know, taken to task by uh, people on the social media platform, and it just got to this really ugly place. And it, it brought up a lot of questions about um, the older generations and the shifts in social acceptability, and what battles are we fighting? I think that this this person online uh, that was sort of got caught up in this this other ugly battle. Uh, I don't know. I feel like on some level they were just kind of going about their business and got caught up in this conversation um, and didn't really know how to get themselves out of it. Um, But it's interesting to see how uh, in this current civilization that we live in, um, young people in particular, and I'm, I, I was, uh, a young person once. I, I'm a middle-aged person now, I would say. I'm not old, I'm not young, I'm in the middle. Uh, the, I guess the thought I have on this is that th- that concept of balance and that concept of empathy and treating others the way that we want to be treated, I think we should try to extend that to uh, the, the social media sphere as well. Um, this is one of the things where um, I remember when I was in college and I was, I felt very, very uh, self-righteous about a lot of things. I was learning about the ills of the world. I was learning about uh, capitalism and about like the school of America's, And I was like, you know, I, I my parents, like they, I, I would take my parents to task for participating in a capitalist system. And like, I would berate them for their choices. And I feel like now we're able to berate our elders in front in public where we publicly eviscerate our elders and i think that there's some of that i think is uh necessary as far as if we have some really ugly behavior that is not necessarily uh unfounded but when it it extends to kind of this like this collateral damage that's where i start to be like well you know, this was a really, really well-respected person in the community that has done a ton of great work. And there's been a couple people that where this has come up. And I just wonder what kind of actions I would have taken as a, a 20-year-old person had I had something like Twitter and just kind of, I remember that passion. And that passion is necessary. That passion is necessary for change. But I will say, as you get older, I think it's a balance too. I think that, that things are multifaceted. I think that that we don't necessarily have uh, a monopoly on truth when we're young. I think that, that this this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, and it's really funny that this is playing out, There, it's a blending of the old and the new. It's the blending of the father and the son. And there is this battle between the old and the new. And I think that in America in particular, we have very little respect for our elders. And this is something that really, uh, really disturbs me. I, I think that it's um, on one hand, we have an inequitable power structure where older folks have uh, too much power. OK, that, that I can absolutely acknowledge. We see this in Congress where elder members, senior members of Congress are, are able to make a lot of decisions and the younger Congress people are. You know, like, what am I supposed to do here? And that that needs to change that. We need to give younger generations more of a voice, more of a seat at the table to allow that conversation to come in. But I don't think we need to necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater either. I think that like there is wisdom in some of these elder voices. Um, and, And I think that one of the things that I would implore some of you who may be in your early 20s is I would allow space for some of their elder generations to change uh, with without immediately going to the nuclear bomb option of, of I guess, of canceling somebody. I, I really not a fan of that. Uh, I'm not a fan of, of ostracizing people. Um, I, I do think that it is important to hold people accountable, but I do think it's also important to hold space for people to, to, to learn, to admit a mistake, to, uh, to get on board with things that are more culturally acceptable, and to realize that there, I don't know, that there is, it, it takes time. And a lot of the folks that people are taking to task were raised in a completely different reality. And some of those habits are difficult to break. I'm, I'm not justifying bad behavior. But I am, I guess, calling for balance and for empathy for, for some of the people who really do have wisdom in our, in our communities that, on some level, they just imagine, and I joke about this with my daughter. I'm like, you're going to have to teach me how to use the teleporter when, when I'm old. Or, or I was joking the other day, like, you know, what values you hold now as a young person Could be completely different by the time you're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. I was joking that, you know, like maybe in the future, you know, because we're walking on molecules that that have consciousness that oh my god you're walking on molecules that have consciousness oh oh the, you are uh not hosting the bacteria in your body you know like that that are you know trying to give you universal consciousness and we're using these medicines to dispel this these diseases that are actually these these sentient beings you know it's just something off the wall like that and it, and i will say you know to 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 quote abraham simpson uh, you know, he, basically there was an episode of the Simpsons where he was like, you know, what was hip is not hip. And what is it is not it. And I don't know what is hip. And I, I'm not quoting this very well, but he's like, it'll happen to you. And that it will, there, there is this succession uh, that will, you know, and, and we all have our roles to play, but I, but I guess what I'm saying is as I transition more to a, a middle age and elderhood, I guess this is just a plea not to be forgotten completely Uh, and how painful that must be for people who are even further in the cycle that they're, that are confused, trying to learn all of these new social norms, all these technologies. And I just, I feel compassion on some level for them. Um, I'm absolutely not justifying the old behavior because a lot of the the issues that, and the, the challenges that we've gotten ourselves into climate, climate crisis is from some of the choices that were made by previous generations. And I will say, if you are thinking about potentially what choices you're making now, that may have uh, consequences down the road. It may have something to do with technology. It may have something to do with how we interact on social media or some of the way that we integrate technology into our consciousness and into our bodies moving forward. We may learn, that, and we are learning, that some of these social media type of experiences like Facebook and Twitter uh, are trying to manipulate the way that we think. And by, you know, sharing all of our personal data and things like that and invading our privacy, we are losing a lot of the individuality that we may, uh, individuality of thinking that, that we may uh, be in the future. Let's say that you, you know, you early 20 year olds are starting to have some kids and you give them a device and you let them have free reign on their technological device. There may be a future generation that was like, oh my God, how, how dare you give them. This, this, this device that, they, that is so toxic. Do you know what I'm saying? That could be one of the shifts as we move forward. Um, so I, I would just encourage trying to see where everyone is coming from, encourage patience with one another. This is like a, a time to think, I think to work together with uh, across generational lines to bring a, a, a better future into place. Because I do think people that are um, elderly too, are probably seeing the same forest fires and the same, uh, you know, lack of resources and things like that, that everyone else is. And realizing that, you know, Oh my God, they might die from like a a communicable disease. And I just think that there is value in every stage of life and that this, this battle is always going to be waging. But I think that if we want to move forward in this Jupiter Saturn cycle with grace, we, we uh, call people in rather than call them out. This is something that I'm having to learn really strongly with even just learning about my own ignorances. We all have it. There, there will, I guarantee you, at every stage, there will be a point where some new type of consciousness comes in, some new shift of human thought that uh, takes some time for people to assimilate. And not all of it is good either. Just just because there is a shift in thinking does not mean that that we discard some of the timeless truths either. This is something that I am realizing as a a middle-aged person is a lot of the things that I thought very idealistically as a 20-year-old person weren't sustainable. I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it immediately. And that's not the way that the world works. And as I've grown older, I've learned the concept of working with time, working with Kronos, with Saturn to, to understand these cycles and to be able to have patience to, to move through my life and to know proper timing and to pace myself, to, to know that I, if, I, if I you know burn myself out by going 1,000 miles an hour, I'm going to have a crash. And uh, this is something, as your body ages, you, you have to become a little craftier on how you output your energy. So I think that this is something that's really important when we talk about Jupiter-Saturn cycles is this, this kind of interaction between young youth and age and this, this need to come together uh, of the generations, the meetings of the generations. And it takes flexibility on, on both sides. And I would implore you to reach out to Someone who could maybe teach you about their experience on on this earth uh, for a longer period of time. And I would encourage you, those of you who are older, reach out to the young people in your life. Let them teach you. I, I say this. I've said this in my um, songwriting classes in the past. For those of you who are experienced, get back in touch with your beginner mind. You know, you all have something to offer in this class, whether you've been doing. Uh, music for for decades, or whether you are new to it, you have something to offer each other. The older folks get in touch with your beginner mind. The younger folks ex- appreciate the experience and the wisdom that other people bring, and and respect that journey as well. And you will inspire people through your beginner mind. Okay, so so it it is both. It, it, that that is such a cool concept to to think about people becoming a functional society where we respect the different generations. This is how indigenous cultures worked. They respected their elders. They, they, they saw them as, as wise folks to, to learn from, but they also appreciated the qualities of youth. They listened to their young people as well. They didn't try to oppress them, at least not as far as I know. Like it was a functional society where everyone had a role and I don't know. That's just something that's really been on my mind over the last week is the interaction of youth and age and trying to see both sides of it. Now, that doesn't mean that that things that have outlived their usefulness in a culture that have have proven over many centuries to be harmful don't need to be discarded because they do. Things like racism and wealth inequality, we can throw that right out the window. And when we see people obviously abusing those types of things, I do think it is important to to uh, you know recognize when that's happening. I guess I would encourage to call in though and to teach rather than to automatically um, discard those folks. I, I think that's a better way to deal with this: is to to educate and then allow them to make the choice and give them some time to process, uh, you know, and then to to come along. And if they're still acting stubbornly, then then you can have another conversation. But uh, patience is the key. Compassion is the key. Okay, so that's what we've got going on with this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. Big deal. Uh, That's Monday the 21st. Let's talk about the 22nd. We're going to go a little quicker through the rest of this forecast. On Tuesday, December the 22nd, the moon starts off in in, uh, Aries in the first quarter phase. The moon will trine. Venus at 1056 a.m., which is the only aspect that we have of the day at eight degrees of Aries and eight degrees of Sagittarius. Now, one thing that I will warn you about on Tuesday is we are going to see the, the, the applying, uh, we're going to feel the applying square of Mars to Pluto. So we're going to feel the buildup to Mars-Pluto that perfects on Wednesday, the 23rd. So you you may feel some of those those themes of of you know some violence erupting from the underworld some uh, some corruption coming up some some intense volcanic cathartic energy beginning to surface around Tuesday the twenty second, okay? But let's move forward to the twenty third and I'll dive into the Mars Pluto uh, aspect in depth. All right on. Wednesday, December the 23rd, the moon starts out in Aries. We're experiencing the first quarter moon phase still. We're going to see a few lunar aspects. We have the moon uh, squaring Pluto at 5.36 p.m. from 23 degrees of Aries to Capricorn. That is actually the same degree that the Mars-Pluto square will be happening uh, in the morning at 9.53 a.m., uh, the moon will then conjoin Mars at 5.50 p.m. So the moon is activating both Pluto and Mars on Wednesday, the 23rd. So some themes that we can think about with Mars-Pluto. Uh, volcanic catharsis. There are abduction themes in, in relation to, to Hades uh, and Pluto. Um, so there may, may be something in the news that comes up with something, some kind of Kidnapping type of thing, or or trying to to take something in secrecy, or something erupting from the underworld. Remember, Hades would erupt from the underworld. There was a great earthquake, and the and the the uh, the ground would split, and he would erupt in his chariot, and he would abduct people like like uh, like Persephone or, or something of that nature. So, some kind of violence like that. We saw this play out in the summertime, where we had. Some governmental figures abducting protesters in Portland. This was a Pluto. I believe there was a sun Pluto opposition when we saw things like that happening. So things like that might be coming up again. Um, So corruption could be exposed through some kind of violent self-interest since Mars is in Aries. Uh, there could be some kind of uh, government position of power that's being abused, since Pluto is in the last decan of Capricorn. We talked about that being related to the administration of earthly power. Um, this may be someone trying to rile up their their base, uh, a hostile base, through through their charisma. Um, you know, trying to use corrupt, nefarious methods, though, with the with the uh, the square to Pluto. Um, could be an an overexertion of aggressive energy. Uh, You know, this this very good author, Ren Butler in the Archetypal Universe talks about fire-breathing dragons, brimstone, ruthless violence. The sun and mercury are there too. So there could be some very aggressive speech and abuses of power with the sun being representative of power or the king as well. So just be very careful about how you wield um, your words, how you wield your power. Uh, Try not to uh, fall prey to Um, nefarious methods, Um, your integrity may come in the way that you do the things that you are doing. Uh, Sometimes there are goals that we have that aren't worth compromising our integrity. And this may be a day to really keep in mind that that the volume on the intensity is going to be jacked way up. Uh, Venus is also going to be moving into the second decan of Sagittarius at 11.22 a.m., and this particular deccan was called Great Strength. Uh, Austin Kopic calls it the bridal. Um, it has the fixed stars Antares and Ross two very like passionate fixed stars. Antares, um, we are going to see a conjunction with Venus and Antares on this day as well. So Antares was the heart of the scorpion. We can, if we go back to our, our chart here, our star chart, we can see on the 23rd, that we have. I'm going to zoom out, and I'll just narrate for those of you listening. Um, here we have Venus, and there is Antares, this red star, very red star in the heart of the scorpion. And I'll hide my hide my horizon so you can see the scorpion. All right, and this is the concentration point of that scorpion. That it's just an intensity, passion. It was one of the royal stars of Persia, the watcher of the west. It was associated with the autumnal or the fall equinox in ancient times, um, which was when death started to become present on the earth. Um, the, I believe the Babylonians considered it the star of Yima, the god of the dead. So we have this, th- this passion, this intensity. We're seeking intensity with any contacts with Antares. And there is a parable I've been telling as other planets have conjoined Antares of the scorpion and the frog. And very briefly, the, the, the scorpion comes to a riverbank and meets with the frog. And since the frog can swim, he asks him for a ride across the river. The frog is, of course, hesitant because he knows that the scorpion is dangerous, but the scorpion assures him that things will be fine. So the scorpion's riding in the frog's back. And halfway across the river, the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog is very upset by this uh, because he trusted the scorpion. But he's like, Scorpion, why did you do this? What, what, now we're both going to die. And he's like, "Ah, I couldn't help it. It's in my nature, right? And then they both drown. So be careful not to to sting the the relationships in your life, the partners in your life through being too intense, through expecting too much, um, through trying to will someone to love you. uh, (laughs) It's maybe a test of temperance. Temperance is balance in, 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 in a chemical um, purity, right, where we're trying to balance out a desire versus um, austerity, um, this may be where you should go with the flow rather than use force in your life. Antares always presents a test, and it is the test of in- intensity. If we become too ruthless, we can just, you know, crush everyone around us and end up, you know, undoing ourselves. Um, but if we, if we temper those desires, if we temper those passions They can lead to great success, so I think the key on this is, is um, balance, temperance, um, lowering the volume on intensity, especially when it comes to our relationships, um, not getting too obsessed with doing things a certain way on Wednesday the 23rd, and uh, you know, going with the flow. All right. That's what I've got for Wednesday, December the 23rd. Let's move back to our chart, and we'll move forward to Thursday, December the twenty-fourth, Christmas Eve, if that's uh, what you celebrate in the holiday season. Uh, The moon is moving in from Aries into Taurus. Its exaltation at five fifty-five a.m. So some of the intensity of Tuesday and Wednesday is gonna—we're gonna get some relief um, from this. Just thinking about what is going on in the collective, this may be we're having some really tough conversations with our loved ones when it comes to how we're going to celebrate the holidays. And, you know, we're still going through a very uh, intense crisis where over 3 million people have lost their lives due to COVID and the pandemic in the United States alone. Um, And there may be temptations to get together with our families and we may be mourning the loss of old traditions and arguing about uh, with 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 everyone about what the proper thing to do is. I would highly encourage you to to think outside the box, especially as we see um, some Uranus contacts with Mercury and the sun. We can still get together with our loved ones, but, but we may have to just do it in a completely different way or a socially distanced way. Um, and that's for the good of the whole. That's for the good of the community. That's for the good of your family members too. Um, so I know that it's been tough. We, we've had to go through this with with Thanksgiving, with with the holiday season, with Christmas and, and all the other holidays that folks celebrate. We're probably gonna have to really uh, take this into consideration with New Year's Eve too. Um, that's another day where we're, we're gonna have to give up some of those old traditions and, and celebrate in a new and innovative way, at least for the time being, delayed gratification. Because I think with some of this discipline, this mental discipline, this doing the right thing for the community, that actually leads the way back to getting back together and doing some of the things um, socially uh, in the future quicker. Because the quicker that we can eliminate this, this disease, you know, through through the, the the vaccine and things like that too, it just takes time for the vaccine to roll out. We don't, everybody doesn't have uh, access to it right now. We're still gonna have to do some of the things we've been doing over, over the course of 2020 to try to reduce the spread of this. So. Um, there may be some tough conversations with this, though, because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people out there that are still attached to some of those old traditions. That there may be some disagreements about the severity of what what this pandemic is and whatnot, um, and w- we may have some tough conversations that we have to have. And I would encourage you to like like Saturn. Sometimes you have to come to terms with reality. Sometimes you have to come to terms with uh, the endings of things. And come to terms with doing the the necessary but difficult things in your life, and by by honoring Saturn or Kronos, uh that is where we lead back to the return. That's where we lead back to to being, uh, you know, eventually being rewarded for that hard, enduring hard work. Okay. If we try to 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 take shortcuts, if we try to rush the process, that's when we experience the the flip side of Saturn, which is punishment. Um, And you know sometimes we have natural consequences for our actions. And that that natural consequence in the year of 2020 is uh, our loved ones getting sick and losing people that are important to us in our life or people in our community. And I would stress again, just because you haven't lost someone in your life doesn't mean that other people haven't. Um, I have a number of friends right now whose family members are struggling with COVID and um, they're really scared and they're really having some difficulty trying to figure out how they're going to move forward. Um, and a lot of people that have lost people too. And it's really sad to see that. And it's, I think it's even worse to see people not, um, acknowledging someone else's experience or, or trying to deny someone else's experience that that's something that is, uh, that's really harmful to one another. When we try to, um, deny someone else's reality or someone's pain, um, it's just kind of it's kind of heartless. And I think that if you want to tap into your compassion energy, uh, acknowledging someone else's experience, I think, is the first step. All right, so let's talk about Thursday, the 24th here. Uh, we've got that, that Taurus moon on, at 5.55 a.m. The moon's going to be squaring. Now, this is another experience we're going to have with the, the new ingresses of Saturn and Jupiter into Aquarius is we're going to see squares from the Taurus moon now. Uh, and from the Scorpio moon to these two planets. So we have a square from the uh, Taurus moon to Saturn early in the morning, and then a square to Jupiter uh, about an hour later at 8 9 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, later in the afternoon, this, the moon will make a trine to the sun at 3 degrees of Taurus and Capricorn, and then trine Mercury at 6 degrees of Taurus and Capricorn at 6.57 p.m. We end the day with a conjunction to Uranus at 7:55 p.m. at six degrees of Taurus. So some difficult beginnings to the day, where we're trying to really figure out some some uh, some challenges uh, to maybe how we we normally do things, and to we may have some stress with, I don't know, like like some some stressful emotions because we're trying to reconcile tradition versus what is required of us in this new reality that we're living in right now. And it's painful. And, and I, I, I also empathize with those of you who are feeling, um, you know, sorrow and grief from not being able to get together with your loved ones. is super tough. And it, it, it is totally valid. That's the word I was looking for validation. It is totally valid for you to, th- to feel that way. It's also valid to acknowledge other people's experience who've, who've really suffered through this and to respect their uh, sovereignty. Um, and to respect us as a community—that's really what we're going to have to do moving forward—is just recognize that our actions have uh, an effect on other people. This was—I've said this before, but this really uh, was hammered home to me when, um, in the—the—I the, believe—in the summertime when we were seeing all these California wildfires and these wildfires in Oregon and the West Coast, and the sky here in Michigan started to become hazy, and the the, the sun changed color. It became this deep, deep, uh, you know, egg yolk orange. And it was just, it was such a, I could smell the, the smoke in the air. And it just really hit home that, that we are so connected, even thousands of miles away, the actions that we take have an effect on our, on our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world and different parts of our communities. And I think that the pandemic is something that that's part of the lesson of that is, is our actions have effects on other people. And um, I hope that we can learn to respect one another as we move forward. I hope that we can, you know, try to retain some of our sovereignty and individuality, but also recognize that we can't take that to an extreme either. Again, balance is the key. Okay, let's move forward to Friday. And we'll finish this report uh, for, as we talk about the weekend. Okay, on Friday, December the 25th, Moon will start off in Taurus. Uh, We'll see a Taurus moon throughout the entire day. We're moving from the first quarter phase to the waxing gibbous phase. The moon will make a sextile to Neptune at 7.09 PM at 18 degrees of Taurus and Pisces respectively. The big aspect that we have of the day is a trine between Mercury and retrograde Uranus at 2.05 AM. Um, Mercury will be making a conjunction to the fixed star Fossies at eight degrees of Capricorn. Now this was the eye of the archer and if we go back over to our star chart we can see that on the 24th here is uh where it is we have we got to find it there's mercury and i believe fossies is right around here somewhere okay i don't know if they've labeled it uh as that but it's here in the eye okay it's a nebula so nebulas are also associated with sight, sometimes with blindness, but in this case, this is intense, you know, mental focus with it conjoining mercury, even maybe harshness or aggressiveness, like the eye of the uh, centaur has a drawn bow and he's about to shoot that arrow towards its target. So there could be a blindness in this, with this particular position to anything else that isn't the target. So I think that there is a maybe potentially a ruthless single-mindedness minded, single with this conjunction of, of Mercury and Fossies. So we have to be careful that we're not disregarding others when we're pursuing our goal. And again, this, this comes back to like thinking about your community, thinking about your relationships, thinking about if what you're pursuing is completely a selfish desire um, based just on this, maybe this, this illusionary uh n- You know, ideal of of freedom or of uh, personal entitlement or rights or things like that. Um, And are you taking your relationships into account now? With Mercury making a trine to Uranus, we may have some kind of mental breakthrough. We may have some kind of thing where we're, you know, trying to figure out where we're going to plant the next seed, having some some fruitful conversations about uh, some innovations and maybe our next. Uh, commercial project or something like that uh, figuring out where what kind of fields will produce or be the most fertile moving forward this could be some light bulb moments um, and some some moments where we have some promethean themes remember prometheus was the the titan that stole fire from the olympian gods and gave it to humanity uh and you know after he saw that and he also i believe he tricked Zeus into giving the best of the the meat from the sacrifice to humanity as well, while Zeus would eat the bones. But he was punished for this. So there may be something where you have this innovative idea, but people aren't ready to get on board with it yet, and you may get some feedback or some some pushback on those ideas, and maybe feel like you're being punished for it. So uh, think outside the box. Um, You know, be patient with the process. We don't have to make all these changes overnight, but it's good to plant seeds at this point. All right, let's talk about Saturday the 26th. So on Saturday, December the 26th, the moon will move from Taurus into Gemini at 6.32 p.m., and we will be continuing the waxing gibbous phase where we are trying to refine something before some kind of unfolding uh, at the full moon that's happening on Tuesday the 29th next week. Um, The moon will be trining Pluto at 6.31 a.m. at 24 degrees of Taurus and Capricorn, respectively. And then it will move into Gemini at 6.32 p.m. And then we're going to see a series of trines to Saturn and Jupiter at 8.40 p.m. and 9.53 p.m. So this is something where the moon and and Saturn and and Jupiter are going to be having a fruitful conversation. Hopefully, where there's some great ideas could come up. You may see the limitations of certain ideas and then get some inspiration as it makes a trine to Jupiter. So uh, overall, a fairly harmonious day with easy aspects on Saturday the 26th. Okay, as we move forward to Sunday the 27th, on Sunday, December the 27th, the moon will be in Gemini, continuing the waxing gibbous phase before our unfolding at the the full moon, excuse me, at, at Tuesday the 29th. We're going to see one aspect uh, this day. We're going to have a trine between the sun and Uranus at 1025 p.m. We're also going to be seeing Mercury moving into the second decan of Capricorn, which is represented by the three of pentacles. Now, that three of pentacles, uh, we see uh, a number of figures discussing a very ornate structure, maybe looking at a blueprint. Uh, Austin Coppock calls it the pyramid. Um, the fixed stars Vega and Rukbot Rook, are in this particular decan, So we may be communicating our plan to other people, making negotiations with, with Mercury. We may be discussing the pros and cons and trying to build something uh, together with a community. We may be enlisting help at this point as well on the 27th. Now, with the sun making a trine to Uranus, Um, This is, again, those Promethean themes, but here we may have some gnosis or wisdom from the higher self, uh, some brilliant awareness of an an, an idealistic pathway to move next, uh, where we're maybe embracing or kind of having an awakening to a material purpose with both the sun and Uranus being in earth signs. So maybe we'll have the aha moment over the weekend about what it is that we really want to do next in the year ahead. So I wish all of you very uh, enlightened moments, aha, light bulb moments as we come to see this sun trine Uranus moment on the weekend. Okay, so that's what we've got for this week. Looking ahead to next week, uh, the 28th through January the 3rd, we're going to have a full moon on Tuesday the 29th at 8 degrees of Cancer and Capricorn, respectively. The the themes that we talked about with fossies at eight degrees of Capricorn will be present in that full moon. Um, We're going to see a a Neptune-Venus square on Wednesday, the 30th at 18 degrees of of Sagittarius and Pisces. The moon will move into the second decan of Capricorn on the 31st. Uh, Venus will move into the third decan of Sagittarius that same day. We're going to see a mercury neptune sextile on friday new year's eve and then we will have mercury moving into the third decade of capricorn on the second and venus making a conjunction with Al haig that that fixed star that was associated with asclepius the healer where we saw a lot of news about vaccines coming out at that eclipse that was conjoining that fixed star um so yeah that's what we've got coming up in the the week ahead Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sticking with me in 2020 and being a part of this, this channel, this podcast, wherever you're, uh, you know, uh, consuming this content. Um, if you want to support the work that I do, there is a PayPal me link in the description of these videos in the description of the podcast. That is such a great blessing when, I, when you are help, helping me to buy time to do the work that I'm doing. There's also, I have a Venmo as well. If you want to do that, that's the best way to support my work uh, financially. If you want to do that, I also do readings. And I to- as I said, in the beginning of the forecast, I have a 25% off uh, deal coupon that I am giving out to everybody for the Capricorn season that is the code solstice so if you go to my book now um, type of uh, link on my website spencermichaud.com or in the description of this video you put in that coupon code you automatically get 25% off any of my offerings so that's a great way to do a, a year ahead forecast I do a three and six month version of that Um, I do astrological tutoring, which, so if you're trying to learn these traditional concepts or these mythological concepts, I really love to teach. And that is something that I've been trying to expand as I move forward. Um, I've been a a guitar teacher and a music teacher for over 20 years. So I have a lot of experience with creating curriculum and trying to make these concepts as accessible as possible and taking complicated things and simplifying them. That's something that I've been told that I have a gift for. Um, So yeah reach out and let's work together in 2021. I hope to have classes and offerings available for you as well. I'm trying to do more appearances on other people's podcasts and, and do some more webinars in the future. So keep your eyes peeled for that. There may be some new offerings, like new, potentially some new membership types of things or things where you can become a patron of the work that I do, but we'll see. Uh, Capricorn season, we'll figure that out. Um, so thank you so much for everything that that you've Uh, how you've supported me over the course of this year. Please be kind to one another. Uh, Hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, share this with your friends, and be good to one another over this holiday season. Uh, It's okay to feel some of that disappointment, but feel the things that you're grateful for as well. That's what I love about New Year's resolutions. When we look at uh, the old year, what are we grateful for? That feeling of gratitude can be extended to your brothers and sisters and your community members as well. And that's a really great way to start 2021 in this new Jupiter-Saturn cycle. Be grateful for the the young people in your life. Be grateful for the middle-aged people in your life. Be grateful for the elders in your life and and hold space for all of them. And that's going to be a great way to move into this this new era of equality, because that really is truly equality for everyone, equality for people that are of, of all sorts of different belief systems, all sorts of different demographics, all sorts of different uh, strategies of society, and all sorts of different ages as well. That's how we truly, truly embrace equality. So I love all of you, and I hope that you have a great new year and holiday season, and I will talk to you soon. Peace.